you would like to borrow a Bible this morning, raise your hand, and the ushers will let you borrow a Bible. You can put it in your pew when you're done, so you can follow along with us this morning. We had a great week last week. Do you remember? Uh, we had a baptism after the service. It was awesome at the lake. And then we had a soccer game with the Congolese congregation where we lost in a shootout. It was close, 2-2, and then um, we lost in a shootout. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Glad to see you there. And you, you, we only scored two goals. And I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to say that my son, who's only 12, did score one of them. I just want to tell you that. <laughs> and... Um, my, uh, someone said I'm going to be making a lot of illustrations about that. I want to assure you, I will not make an illustration about my son, who's only 12. Did I mention he was just 12? Playing in an adult game, scored a goal. But I will not mention that in illustration from here on out at all. It's awesome, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking about that this week. All right. This morning, I am actually going to talk about... Um, the topic of faith, and I, and I know many of you want to grow in your faith, and I, I know I do. I, I would hate to preach sermons and then not go away and do them. I just want to be honest with you. When I preach about faith, I want in on the action. I don't just want to talk about it. I want to actually do it. I, I want to experience the power of Christ in my life. I want to experience the closeness of Jesus in my life when I step out of faith. I want, to, I want in on the action, and I hope that, that you do too. Wouldn't you hate it if you just sit there and you listen to sermons and you just go away and you just do whatever? I mean, don't you want in? You want to actually live it? I mean, if you come here on Sunday mornings, if you come here on Sunday mornings and, and you're bored with what's going on, it could be because I'm a boring preacher. That's possible. I, I'll give you that. But apart from that... You shouldn't be bored. You should, like, get in the Word, go out during the week, and you're, like, living it out. And you're coming back on Sunday morning and go, okay, what's next? What's next? And, and that's what I want you to be. I want you to get ready to take greater steps of faith because we want to grow. Because maybe God has a calling upon your life, and you need greater faith to pull it off. Or maybe you are going through a season right now in your life where you're waiting, and you need greater faith to wait. Or maybe you're going through a season of your life right now of temptation, and you need, you need faith to fight against that temptation. Or maybe you're just dealing with the, the, the mundaneness of life, and you're having a hard time making it through each day, and you need greater faith in Jesus to make it through each day. Wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus came and actually trained us, taught us, what it, meant, uh, what it means to grow in our faith. Wouldn't it be awesome if he would teach us how to grow in our faith the same way he, he taught his disciples? And, and I think, I could be wrong, but I, I think he's going to do just that this morning. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the Word of God, we are going to be trained by God to grow in our faith. And what we're gonna do, the way we're going to do that is we're going to get into the Word. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. So just go ahead and turn there, Matthew 14. We're going through the book of Matthew. It's where we're at now, Matthew 14. And you are going to get your money's worth today because we're going to cover a whole chapter. A whole chapter. When's the last time you studied a whole chapter of the Bible? And we're actually going to read every single verse in there. Not, not at one time, but isn't that awesome? Aren't you excited? I, th- I thought you would be. All right. Well, we're going to look at two main stories. One story is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school, you know the story, okay? Uh, Jesus walking on water, went to Sunday school, once again, felt boards, you, um, you know the story. 
And so those are going to be the kind of the instructive stories about growing in our faith. But before we get to those stories, we're going to have to look at the atmosphere that this faith was functioning in. And it starts out with a very um, conflict atmosphere, an atmosphere of opposition. Let's start in chapter 14 with verse 1 and look at some opposition that Jesus and his disciples were facing. Verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put her to death, he feared the people because... They held him to be a prophet. All right, let me just, we're not going to spend much time on this, but this is, this is Psycho Herod. Psycho Herod Antipas. He had John the Baptist killed. And because of his wacky theology, he thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist back from the dead somehow because all these miraculous powers are at work in Jesus. And then in the story, we have a little flashback on how John died. You see, John opposed Herod's marriage to his brother's wife. So he arrested John, put him in prison, public doesn't want John killed, but there is something that became a tipping point in Herod's life where he actually did kill John, and it all started with his big birthday bash. Look at verse 6. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So, you know, Herod, he's having this big birthday party, he's drinking, and there's a lot of you know, partying going on. And so his teenage stepdaughter does this sensuous dance before her perverted stepdad and his party goers. And he's like, that's awesome. I'll give you whatever you want. Verse 8. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent... And had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. So you have this corrupt party. And it gets as bad as it can get. John's head is brought out on a platter at this birthday party. And, and what you're having is a fulfillment of what Jesus warned. He said, you know, persecution is going to come. To those who follow me, and who is going to be next? It's going to be Jesus, and he's going to be nailed to a cross. And I think this is very instructive that this story comes before our stories on faith, because I really want you to know that when you operate in faith, it is going to happen in an atmosphere of opposition. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to operate in faith, let's just say, if we had a neutral environment, but we are called to operate in faith in an environment of opposition. That means that Satan and his cohorts are out to get you constantly. And so if you're experiencing a little struggle in your faith, a struggle to believe, well, part of that is opposition from the enemy. And it's the environment that Jesus operated in under that opposition, and it's the environment that he trained his disciples in, opposition. So don't think, you know what, I want to grow my faith, but I don't want to face any opposition. Well, you're not going to grow then. Growing in faith will happen in a context of opposition. And that's, what, that's where the training is going to happen. And so we're going to move from this 
this debauchery feast to more of a wholesome feast to what Jesus is about to do in feeding at the 5,000. So let, let's just keep going. Let's, let's look at the training. Verse 13. Now, when he heard this, that's, that's, he heard that Herod thinks he is John back from the dead. When he heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the town. So, you know, Herod's probably wants to kill Jesus just like he killed John. And so Jesus is like, you know, it's not my time yet, so I'm going to just move on here because there will come a time where I'll be killed, but it's not yet. So he, he moves on. The crowd comes with him, verse 14. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. That's a consistent pattern of compassion, healing the sick. Verse 34. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genereser. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Now, this, this is amazing. So Jesus continues to heal even with Herod Antipas in the background probably wanting to kill him. So all these crowds are coming to him, and Jesus didn't say, you know what, I'm really under a lot of pressure right now. i got this psycho Herod who probably wants to kill me. I don't have time to heal you. He doesn't do that. Even in the midst of the pressure, he moves out, and he still has compassion on the people, and he heals them. He's still showing compassion while he's under pressure. And that, that just tells me a lot about who, who God is. And how much more compassion does Jesus have upon you now that he is exalted to the right hand of the Father? He's never too busy. He's never under too much pressure where he can intervene in your life. And, and this is going to mean, mean a lot for you today. Because for those of you who are visitors, we do something in our church. may sound kind of odd. But we do something called prayer and healing. We actually believe that God has called us to pray for one another and in certain contexts to pray for healing. And we link it with our, when we take the communion, that we have the elders of the church and we actually pray for people in here who are sick to be healed. Maybe there's something going on in your life. We pray for God to intervene in your life. And we do not think that our exalted Lord Jesus is too busy to care for you. So take this as a word of encouragement. In a a little while, we're going to have this prayer and healing time, and you will know what's going on. We believe in faith that God still acts today as we call upon him. So back to the the crowds. Verse 15. Hope you guys are tracking here. I know we've got a a lot of room to go. All right, verse 15. Now, when it was evening... The disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So they're out in the middle of nowhere. The sun's going down. The crowd's getting hungry. And you're thinking, well, well, how big is this crowd? Let's do a little Lollapalooza crowd control here. How many people actually showed up? Look at verse 21. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. All right, do some math here. 5,000 5, men besides women. Well, about, right, about 15,000 people, wouldn't you say? That's, that's that math sound about right to you? About 15,000 people. So that's a lot of people out in the field. Jesus is doing some serious healing. He's drawing these huge crowds, but they're out in the middle of nowhere. And so the, the, the disciples are like, um, we should probably just send them away because they're hungry. There's no, there's no like vendor booths out here. <laughs> there's actually no porta potties. There's nothing out here. <laughs> let's get them back into the town. They're hungry. Let's go feed these. You know, go go get some food because they're they're starving. 
So, all right, here we go. I know you've been waiting for it the whole time. Here comes the faith training. This is awesome. Verse 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Don't you love that? You go ahead and feed them. I just love it. He's like, you feed them. So he's saying, look, disciples, I love you guys, but you need to step up and feed all 15,000. You do it. Sending the crowds away, that's not an option. And I can kind of feel what the disciples are feeling now because in our world today, we're faced with a variety of impossible situations. But if you are a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, walking away is not an option. Jesus is calling you specifically to step up and minister, even in impossible situations. Many of you may be familiar with Gary Hogan, who is the, um, I guess he's the founder of International Justice Mission. But you know, before he started IJM, he actually worked for the U.S. State Department. I mean, sorry, U.S. Department of Justice. And he was assigned to investigate the genocide that happened in Rwanda. And as he was investigating this genocide in Rwanda, he came across a variety of people that would constantly look at, you know, look at all the people dead and say, where was God? And he kept hearing it all the time. People said, where was God? And and Gary's a guy who believes in the Word of God. He, he said he believes in the sovereignty of God. He has no doubt that God is sovereign in control and is right in the midst of all the suffering. But Gary said, you know, the more appropriate and relevant question to ask is not where was God, but where are God's people? Like, where, where are you at? Where are God's people? In the midst of this suffering and impossible situations in the world, where are we? Bailing out is not an option. We are called to step up and minister. And Jesus says to you, I really believe he says to you, you do it. You feed them. And you know what happens when Jesus does that to us? We, we, we get faced with the reality that we can't do it. Because I really believe that every single person in here has a specific thing that God is calling you to do. From his word, maybe his spirit is leading you. He's calling us all to do something. I really believe, I really believe this. He's calling you to do something that is basically impossible. He's saying, you do it, and then you come to a point in your life and you go, I can't do this. That's at a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Because look what the disciples say. We're just like them. Look at verse 17. We have only five loaves here and two fish. 15,000, five loaves. They're like buns. <laughs> two fish. Not going to work. I, I don't think you're feeling this yet. I don't think you, you feel the enormity of the situation. Let me, let me make you feel this, okay? Right now, there's a famine slash drought going on in, in a part of Africa, right? I was, I was, like I've said, I was, I was there a couple times over the past year, Ethiopia, but it's mainly up there in that Somalia area, Okay? And you think, well, just give them food. We've got the UN. We've got all these aid organizations. All, just give them food. And the, but you know, the problem is you have these militants who are pretty much keeping the food away. And I'm seeing the pictures every day. Babies dying. Kids dying. And they're like, this is an impossible situation. Starving people. We've got food here. We have militants here. And it's like Jesus coming up to me and saying, okay, you give them food. 
I'm like, I can't. And I'm sure the disciples are feeling the same way. What are we supposed to do? And this is where Jesus comes in. And he's calling us, I really believe, not to minister out of our own ability, but completely out of his. That's just what he's getting at. Look at verse 18. And he said, bring them here to me. Okay, bring the loaves, bring the fishes. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Oh, they all ate and said, wow, it's a miracle. A little history. A little history. Remember the Israelites out in the wilderness? Moses was the leader, and God fed them with manna from heaven. Here we go. Jesus, he's greater than Moses, feeding the vast crowds. Remember Elisha? He was involved in a miraculous feeding of 100 men. But Jesus, he's greater than Elisha. Feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. And so we have this miraculous feeding. But what's so cool, it's not just the feeding that I want you to pay attention to because Jesus is trying to teach. He's trying to train his disciples. He could just say, well, give it to me. Bam. Everybody's satisfied. That could be the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story because look at verse 20. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Well, that's interesting. It wasn't like nine and a half or 29. (laughs) It's like 12. One for each disciple. I don't know all that this means, but it almost seems like that Jesus is trying to say, look, I am sufficient. I am enough. These people had their fill. I'm, I'm more than just filling these people. I'm the bread of the life. I'm bread of life. I, am, I can give eternal life. I am sufficient to give you all that you possibly need for life, for everything. But he's also teaching them more. Not only am I going to give you everything, but I'm going to give you everything you need to minister to others really believe he's trying to communicate to his disciples that they can participate in the work of Jesus when they get in on that. He is the one that is enough. He is the one who is sufficient. He is the one that will provide. And they can participate in his work. And and I'm thinking, okay, look. Crowds, bread, a little bit of fish, impossible. But if I was a disciple, and, and I, I'm, I'm a disciple now, not back then, and I get it now, but I didn't get it back then, um, they have Jesus. They have the Son of God. When Jesus says, you give them something, you're like, all right, Jesus, we can't do it, but we'll just go ahead and do your thing. Go ahead and do your thing. They, they have Jesus, and to think that we have the, the, the exalted Son of God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. We have so much power given to us, and it's his ability, not ours where we can minister to other people. There's an old um, scholar, pastor, named Matthew Henry. I want to put up a quote that he said. It's really good. He says, ministers can never fill, ministers, that would be you, not just me, ministers, all of us. Ministers can never fill people's hearts unless Christ fills their hands. Ministers can never fill people's hearts unless Christ fills their hands. So I'm not asking you to do something in your own power, in your own strength. It's all about Christ filling you up where you're overflowing. In our church, we have something we talk about all the time called our ethos. And part of our ethos is something called abiding worship. Do you know what, what does that even mean? 
When we talk about worship, we don't just mean singing songs. We mean obeying. We mean going out into our world and, and taking action. We mean uh, worshiping and praising him for who he is. But get this. We can't do any of those things unless we abide in Jesus, unless we have a prayer life, unless his word abides in us, unless we realize that apart from him, we can do nothing. We cannot bear fruit. We can do nothing. So that's why we call it abiding worship. As we abide in him, stay in him, realize we're nothing without him, out of that overflow the ability to minister to others in every single area of life. There's been a certain group of people I've been thinking about a lot recently, and I, I don't know if you've thought about them before. Maybe some of you are those people. It's, it's, it's the group of people known as single parents. Maybe some of you are single parents, or you have been a single parent in the past. Uh, we had a, um, basically a, a good friend of ours stay with us a couple weeks ago. She is, for all purposes right now, uh, functioning as a single parent with her, with her son. Now, if you've ever been a single parent, you know that you're basically just trying to make it through life. I mean, giving your kids Jesus, raising them in the Lord would kind of be a bonus for more happier times. But when you're a single parent, you're often thinking, you know what? I've got to work. I've got to get food. I've got to get them clothes. got to get them to school. Just, you're not, you're not, you're not, it's just, it, would be, it would be a bonus to give them Jesus, right? And it's at that point of being a single parent where you're supposed to say, God, I cannot do this. I cannot raise my kids in the Lord on my own. I cannot do this. This is impossible. And I believe it's at that point where God starts to fill your your hands so that you can fill their hearts with Jesus. And this woman who stayed at our house, she's under a tremendous amount of pressure, working, taking care of her son, and yet crying out to God, and it's flowing out of her, the gospel. The word of God is flowing out of her, training her son in the word. And I believe there are situations and contexts in all of our lives where we call to God, fill my hands so that I can feel the hearts of others, abiding worship. So far, the disciples are not getting it, and often we don't get it either, but hopefully this next story, walking on water, they'll get a little bit more. At least one of them does. Peter, our good friend Peter. Let's go. Keep going. Verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get to the boat and go before him to their side. When he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, so the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know there's Old Testament imagery of God walking on water. But here we have the Son of God literally walking on the water. And disciples see him, and they are scared to death, and they think he's a ghost. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, first Herod thinks he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. And now the disciples think he's a ghost. Yeah. But Jesus, he calms their fears, and now Peter enters the scene. Don't you love this story? This is great. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, 
command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now you have to admit, if you're in the boat, Jesus is walking on the water, you think he's a ghost, he says, I'm not a ghost, calm down. It probably would not have come to your mind to walk on water. That would not come to my mind. But it did to Peter, of course. And here's the deal. You can go off on Peter all you want about his audacity and craziness, but get this. Peter is starting to get it. He's starting to get it. He's starting to understand that with the power of Jesus, he could participate in his work. He's starting to get it. With the power of Jesus, he can participate in his work. So by faith, he gets on up and starts actually walking on water. I mean, he may have missed it in the feeding of the 5,000. He may have blew it, but he's not going to blow it now. He's out there. He's walking. It is great faith, but you've got to admit, it is a little risky. I mean, I've, I've not walked on water. You, you haven't either. I, care, I don't care who you are. <laughs> you make stuff up. You have not. Peter steps out, starts walking. That's, that's a little risky. Uh, I was looking in a book this week by John Ortberg. Let me put this book up for you. It's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. Yeah. You want to walk on water? You've got to get out of the boat. And in this book, let me put this quote up by him. He says this. He says, If you want to experience the power of God in your life, you've got to take a step of faith. It involves risky obedience. And that's just the deal. All of us are all for faith but we're not for risk. We would like to grow in our faith without the risk. We don't want the risk. But what we're seeing here is that often we need to step out of our comfort zones and take a risk of faith. But you know what we often do? We make excuses. How many of you make excuses on why you can't obey a certain thing? You make excuses. Pastor um, Andy Stanley says that he talks to people all the time, and maybe many of you are here. He says he talks to people all the time who have God ideas. I know a lot of you have God ideas. You feel like God has put an idea into your heart, something that you want to act upon. You have this grand God idea, yet you're not willing to take risk. He says he has conversations that often start like this. If I had a million dollars... Ever said that before? If I had a million dollars, I would do this, this, and this. He said he was once talking to a a lady, and she said, Oh, I'm so burdened by the children in the inner city. If I had a million dollars, I would go and start a school. And Pastor Stanley said, You know, as calm as I could be, I had to say to her, I know people who have far less than you who have gone to the inner city and started many schools. It's not about the resources. Because we all know that money is going to follow vision, right? 
It's not about, oh, I got to have all this money before I can step out. Oftentimes, when you have these God ideas, we're called to step out on faith, take risk. A lot of times, we're not going to have the resources. We're not going to have the finances. But what we do is say, God, I I cannot do this. This is not me. So I'm going to take me, throw all I am upon you. And you step out and you take a risk. And when you do, what it does, it makes you dependent upon Jesus and his power. Where you're moving, taking these steps of faith, and you're saying, I cannot do this. It is totally Jesus. I totally need him, and I totally need his power. And we step out, we feel closer to him, and dependent upon his power. And now you're, you want to raise your hand and you go, yeah, but the story doesn't end so well for Peter, right? It doesn't end good for him. So let's look what happens to Peter. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Peter had this divided faith. It was on it was his faith that he had on Jesus there for a little bit. He's all pumped up. He goes, I get it now. I can operate in the power of God. But then it's a faith that kind of went away. And what happened? Fear took over. And, I, you know, he's like me. He's like you. We step out of faith. And then, and then the circumstances take over. And we just we get afraid. We stop considering the supernatural power of God. And we just we bail on God and look at the circumstances. And, and we break down. And it's, it's kind of like... I was trying to explain it to my kids last night. It's like, if you ever see someone play football, maybe you play football, you're, uh, I think particularly the, the punt returners or the kickoff returners in football. I'm sorry if you're not from this country. Please forgive me. But they get the ball, and they're, they're taking off. They're, they're, they're juking and jiving. They're, they're faking people out. But sometimes when they feel like it's all over with and they're about to get tackled, you ever see them just kind of give up? Like, okay, just hit me. Just go and get it over with. Put me on the ground. And that's what I see with our faith is we, we jump out there, we're juking, jiving, we've got our faith, we've got our eyes on Jesus, and then we start looking at the circumstances and we're like, oh, okay, forget it, it's over with. Just go ahead and take me out. That's what's going on with Peter. He's like, well, look at the waves, look at the wind, I'm going down. And he starts to go down. But you know what? What I think is really cool, Jesus didn't let him sink and say, so long, dude. Come on down. Hope you can swim. Jesus rescued Peter. And he rebuked him. And his faith was little and it faltered. But Peter was still rescued. I mean, the disciples in the boat can dog him all they want. Ha, ha, ha. You went down. He's like, you know what? I got rescued by Jesus. You didn't. You stayed in the boat. We are going to mess up. We are going to sin. Our faith is going to falter. But you know what? I believe that we can take steps of faith because we are rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can see his commands. You say, you know what, Jesus? I can't do that. I'm going to rely on your power. I'm going to step out. I'm going to obey. And if I mess up, I'm going to rely upon the gospel. I am forgiven. I am redeemed in the finished work of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection. I am forgiven. I'm going to step out, take acts of faith wherever he calls me to. And if I mess up, I'm going to just... Continue to keep falling back on Jesus. Keep falling back on the gospel. Keep falling back on forgiveness. So if I have these big God ideas, maybe you have these big God ideas. You know what? 
Let's go. If I mess up, I mess up. If I sin, I say, I'm going to just throw myself upon Christ and his power and dependence. And if I mess up, I'm going to say, God, rescue me. I think we can take steps of faith knowing that we are redeemed, forgiven people. We're not taking steps of faith so that somehow we can go to heaven. We are, we are forgiven in Jesus by faith, and we're just going to step out wherever he's calling us. When we mess up, we'll fall back into him. And it finishes up. I love the way it finishes up. Verse 32 and 33. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Finally, the disciples, they're starting to get it. Uh, isn't that great? They are exalting Jesus as the Son of God. He is the one who just fed the masses. He is the one who's walking on the water. He is the one, obviously, now the, the water is being calm and the wind has ceased. He is sufficient. He is more than enough. He reveals himself to him. And what, what's the appropriate response? We're going to worship you. We're going to praise you. We're going to give glory to you. We're going to go all out in worshiping you. And I, I believe that the more we abide in Jesus, the more we consider his character, who he is, I believe that we will grow in our faith as we worship him. Because we're going to see more and more who he is. We're going to start worshiping for who he is. And I believe it's at that point we're going to continue to grow more and more. Not because we have some hot shot faith. Not because we're focusing on faith. It's because we're focusing on Jesus. Like, if you, if you get anything from today, if you want to grow in your faith, focus more on who Jesus is and less on your faith. Who is God? Who is the character of Jesus? Who is he? Focusing more on him and exalting him, worshiping him, will make you take greater steps of faith. So don't focus on your faith. Focus on Christ and who he is and his character. Because I really believe that people in this room, I believe that you can do impossible things, not in your own strength, but in the power of God. I believe that people in this room can endure horrendous suffering. You're like, well, that's not fun. But if you find yourself right now in horrendous suffering, you can endure through your faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that some of you have these, these really cool God ideas from the Word of God that you want to obey. And I believe by God's grace... You can pull them off by his power, by his grace. So this is what I've been doing. I've been thinking a lot about faith. I've been thinking about faith steps in my own life, faith steps in your life. I talked to some of you. You have these, these ideas where you want to obey, where you want to step out. Here, here's, where, here's where I think we should go. If you believe that you have some God idea dream where you have God's calling you to do something, it's, it's, it's within you, this God idea dream, this is what I think you should do. I think you should just push it out in obedience and dependence upon Christ as far as you can go. So if you believe that God has called you to be missional in a certain field, in a certain job, and you are called to bring uh, an integrity at work, to bring the gospel to bear in a certain field, but in order to get there, you've got to do more school, more education. And I just say, you're praying about it, you're seeking wisdom from others, I say just push it out as far as you can go. If some of you feel called to be an elder in this church or a deacon or deaconess, I say, you know what? If you feel like God's calling you to do that, just push it out as far as you can go. And I know some of you are called to start certain ministries, ministries of mercy, ministries of justice. Maybe some of you are called to start a 24-7 prayer ministry 
whatever God's ministry calling out, I said, you know what? Just push it out as far as you can go, dependence upon Christ, and see what happens. Right after we're done here, there's an adoption class going on where many of the couples within this class are considering adoption. You know, I say, you know what, Lord, what do you want them to do? Just push it out as far as you can go. Dependence upon him, God, what do you want us to just keep moving? And, you know, the cool thing is, is that we, we not only do this as individuals, we do this as a church as well. We are in the midst of planning a church right now in Rogers Park. And what we've challenged certain people within our congregation is to push out for a little while and see if this is what God wants them to do. So a certain number of you, you know who you are. I see some of you. You pushed out as far as you can go. And now it's decision time, right? It's time to say, okay, I'm going to keep going or I'm out. And two weeks from today, on this stage, Lord willing, we're going to have our church planner and the church plant team that you know, people you know sitting next to you right now that have made the decision, we're in. And we're going to take them together and we're going to push them out and send them out and they're going to keep going for it as far as they can go. And that's what I'll leave with you today. To obey what God is calling us to do from his word. To take steps of faith. Totally depend upon him. You can't pull it off. And totally depend upon his power. And push out as far as we can go. Totally abiding in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you how... My brothers and sisters in here are so encouraging. I see what they're doing. I see how they're caring for those who are hurting. I see how they're, they're taking steps of faith just with excellence in their field, uh, taking steps of faith in their marriage, taking steps of faith with their kids. I'm so encouraged to how you're stirring up your people to obey you. And I see my brothers and sisters, they're not dependent upon themselves. Depend upon you. And, and Lord, some of them are in that place right now. Like you've got to come through. You have got to come through. And I pray, Lord God, that, that some of them right now that would call out to you, that would call out together in their circumstance and their situation, that you would intervene, be close to them, come through for them, come through from what you're calling to them, come through from your word, what you're calling to do in your word, give them the ability to obey. And stir us up as a church who will worship you, not focused on our faith, but focused on you. And then we'll step out, take the risk, and bring you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.